Please take your Bible and turn with me to the 25th Psalm. And the 25th Psalm will serve as the basis for the teaching this morning. This is not one of the better known Psalms, but I believe you will find it speaking to your heart. It is God's Word after all, and it has relevance probably to 80% of the people in the room at least, maybe all the people in the room will find its relevance as we look at it together. I'm reading today from the English Standard Version and invite you to follow in whatever version you have in your hand. Psalm 25, the Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. I'm a sucker for a good dog story. For decades, my favorite story was that of Old Yeller. I don't know if that story has any root in reality in terms of a specific dog, but certainly it resonates with me. That story has been put into second place in recent years about a true story about an Akita dog species in Japan. That dog was born in 1924. His master bought him off of a farm. The master lived in the booming metropolis of Tokyo, Japan. 
and he was a professor at the university. This dog was named Hachi. Hachiko, actually, is the whole name. Hachi, for short. And Hachi and this professor became fast friends. Wherever the professor went, Hachi was sure to follow. The professor would walk from his house to the train station nearby throughout the week. And Hachi would come and accompany him. And Hachi would be there when he returned every day at the same time. He had the instinct to know it was the time, and he was there. He waited expectantly for the return of his master. As fate would have it, that professor suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and died when Hachi was only two years of age. The day that the professor died, Hachi was waiting for the return of his friend and master. For the next nine years, Hachi waited. And he today embodies the whole essence of loyalty and friendship in all of Japan. He's memorialized. This word which we see in this passage of Scripture, translated wait, literally means to be entwined with one another. Waiting. We, if we wait on the Lord, we are people who are entwined with the Lord. We have that kind of bond with Him that causes us to wait expectantly for Him. Not just in the second coming, that's for sure, but also in the day-to-day experience of life. We who know Jesus Christ are not bulletproof. Is there anybody here who's bulletproof today? Are you living a charmed life? Nothing is wrong in your life. You've never had any kind of issue in your life that has caused you to pause and wonder if God really knows who you are and really knows what you're going through. We read from the book of Psalm chapter 13. And what does the psalmist say? The same psalmist, David, wrote that psalm as this psalm, the 25th psalm. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long before I see your face again? Do you sense the distress in David when he makes those questions to the Lord? He was struggling, wasn't he? It's not uncommon for us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord to experience struggle in our lives. In fact, it would be extraordinary if you never experienced trouble. The Lord permits struggle in our lives in order for us to grow and mature. We know this from the book of James where the Scripture says that we're to consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and we are to let endurance have its perfect result so that we will be mature, lacking in nothing. Inherent in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ are the obstacles that are placed in our way so that we can learn to roll those things off on the Lord. The Bible says that we are to cast our burdens on the Lord, for He will sustain us. The Bible says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. The word commit means to roll off. Roll off the burden of your life. Roll off 
Actually, as Psalm 55, 22 says, when he says, cast your burden on the Lord, he actually says, this is David under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who says this, cast what he has given you upon the Lord. The Lord allows these things to enter our lives. And we're going to see why he does as this passage of Scripture unfolds. But there are times when the knowledge of that does not necessarily minimize the pain. We do not live pain-free existences as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, affliction, as the word is translated here in this psalm and elsewhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that word is a word that's used in Psalm 119 three times, if not four. And in that great 119th Psalm, let me just mention one purpose behind your being afflicted or my being afflicted. The Scripture says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's purpose, isn't it? So that we can learn to be obedient to the Lord. And God knows that obedience to Him is that which makes us more like the Lord Himself, for sure. So as we consider this whole matter of struggle in our lives, and consider God's timetable, it's different from ours, for sure. In the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, Peter writes to his first century audience. He said, there's one fact I do not want you to overlook. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And he goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I don't want you to forget this very important point either. And that is that some of us count God being slow in carrying through with His promises to us. But God is not slow in keeping His promises. He's right on time because He knows what He wants to do in our lives to conform us to the image of His Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig right into this passage of Scripture, this great Psalm 25. And we know that David is the human author of this beautiful psalm. And let me consider with you who the enemies of David might be because he speaks of his enemies and he doesn't speak all that kindly of them. He doesn't come right out and say, I hate them, as he does in other psalms, but he comes very close to it. And these enemies, we don't know who they were. There's no statement at the beginning of the 25th Psalm that would indicate who those were who were his enemies. And probably that's good for us as we look at it as members of the 21st century. The same God who ministered to David and the same God whom David served is the God who ministers to us and we serve. Let's think about some of the enemies. A casual observance of his life would say he had enemies in his own family. He had big brothers. He had six or seven. I can't remember for sure. Big brothers. That's a lot of big brothers to deal with, isn't it? And he annoyed them. It was a pain for them to have him around. 
He probably was somewhat of a favorite of his father, Jesse. But what we do know is when Jesse sent him to take food to his big brothers, when they were part of the army that was facing off against the Philistines, led by their champion and giant Goliath, that his brother said, what are you doing here, dude? You're supposed to be back. You're just a little old shepherd boy. Go on back where you belong. You don't belong here. This is a man's work here. Well, he stepped up, didn't he? He trusted the Lord. David did. He didn't listen to his enemies. He stepped up and he faced an even greater enemy in the person of Goliath. This great champion giant, over nine feet tall if you do the calculations. And here he was, a shepherd boy with no armor. He tried to wear Saul's armor. He says, I can't wear it. It just don't work for me. I knew that's bad grammar, but I use it anyway. That's probably kind of what he said. And then he comes and he faces off and he wins this incredible victory with a sling and some stones. He also had Saul as his enemy, the king, the king whom he saved, the king who he cared for. This king turned against him. He was his enemy, and he hunted him like he was a dog. We know he was anointed to be king by Samuel the prophet, but several years intervened. We don't know exactly how old David was when he faced off against Goliath, Late teens, perhaps. It was not until he was 30 years old. Let's say 17 from 30, 13 years. He was a fugitive, basically. He was on the run from the king. For no apparent reason except for the jealousy of King Saul. And then the Philistines again became his enemy and others became his enemy. Even his own son, whom he loved, Absalom became his enemy. He had to banish him because he had taken vengeance into his own hands by killing his brother who had molested their sister. And David banished Absalom. He mourned due to the separation. Then he called him back. Still wouldn't have an audience with him. But what did Absalom do? He added insult to injury He would come and stand at the city gate every day. And when people would come seeking some counsel from the king, he would say, oh, my father is too busy to hear your concern, but I'm not. And he began to build quite a following in the nation of Israel. And then when Absalom saw the time was right, having assembled his own associates and own army, as it were, he deposed his father. And David dishonored, walked out of his own city, the city of David, as it was called, Jerusalem. He had a lot of enemies. And it's never fun to have difficulty, is it? David's condition is expressed in verses 16 through 18 of this psalm. Let's read it. Turn to me, he says to God. Be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. May I stop right there? I would think there's more than one person in this room who is lonely. You may be single. You may be without a mate and you'd like a mate and you've asked God, God, would you give me someone that I could live this life with you? And that has not happened. Or 
perhaps you were married and your spouse left you. And that creates great loneliness in a person's heart. And you've cried out to the Lord, Lord, do you see me in my loneliness? And he's still not sent a mate to you. And there are people who are widowed in this room who are lonely, having had a partner for years, maybe not a long time, sometimes a great long time, and you're lonely. There's a relationship that has been broken that has created loneliness. David experienced that. Probably at this time he was a fugitive on the run. He had people around him, but he still felt lonely. You can have a lot of people around you. Some of you could testify to this today and still feel very lonely because of your circumstance in your life. Let's go back to the text. And afflicted, we've already talked about being afflicted, so I won't say more about that. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. He paints a picture here, doesn't he, with his words. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. It's like the troubles just grew in his heart. And they were pressing against the walls of his heart. We know that's not talking about the physical heart, but the center of who he was. And he felt like at times he was going to burst because of the pain in his heart. He says in request of God, bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David's condition was one of distress, loneliness. He had been shamed by his enemies. They'd made fun of him. Have you ever had people try to shame you because of circumstances beyond your control? These enemies hated him as what he describes them as being toward him in this passage of Scripture. David's condition. Do you get the picture? Is there anybody here today who has some semblance of a situation in your life that causes that kind of distress in your life? Well, you're in good company. If you study the lives of the greats in Scripture, they all had distress, didn't they? All of them did. It's what we do with our distress that really makes of us what God wants us to be. Let's consider now David's petition to the Lord. And we want to begin this inquiry regarding his petition, his prayer to the Lord, as to what its basis was. And it would be true for us. What is the proper basis of our coming to God when we find ourselves in any situation and especially when we are in distress. It's his nature. This is what David alludes to throughout this psalm. He talks about the nature of God, and that nature was the basis upon which he built his petition to the Lord. And really, his life was built on his understanding of the nature of God. The most important thing you and I will ever do in this life is to know God, to pursue God, to seek God. And we're going to see to trust in God and to fear God and to wait on God as David did. Well, let me get back to where I was. The basis of his petition was God's nature. Look at verse 5 of this psalm, please. 
Look at the second part of it. It says, You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. This is the broad view that he had of his God. He's the God of salvation. He says earlier in that verse, Lead me in your truth. He's the God of truth. These are characteristics of God that are very important for us not just to intellectualize, but to really know that our God is a God who is always about the truth. He cannot lie, the Bible says. And He also is this God who is the God, the author of our salvation. In verse 8, if you look down to verse 8 for a minute, it says that God is good and upright. That's the viewpoint that David had of his Lord, even though circumstances were just out of control in his life. He was distressed. He still knew God was good and that God was not only good. Here's another feature of the character of God that's important for us to understand. God is upright. Another word which could be used for upright. God is a just God. And so you, when you are mistreated by others, it does not miss the notice of God. And God will exact, I'm going to use the word, vengeance on those people at the appropriate time. Remember what God says. It's recorded in both the Old and the New Testament. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take matters into your own hands, is what God would say to you and me. That's what He's saying to David. As much as David wanted to, and David was a valiant warrior, we know that, he could handle a fight and won most every fight he ever had. But what we need to understand is we need to trust in the Lord in those situations. And let the Lord do our fighting for us. The Bible says in Exodus 14, 14, The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. Wait on the Lord. Let God do that for you. He'll finish the fight. You might get some temporary pleasure out of beating the dickens out of someone. But you'll still have that person or someone who knows that person to deal with. And you'll have to pay for it. Let God be who He is. He is a good God. And He is a righteous God also. Look back up at verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. I just kind of exhale when I think about that about the mercy of God. You know what grace is. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. I need justice if the truth is told. But guess what? That's what Jesus did for us. We talked about how David was lonely. That was his own testimony. Do you know if you were lonely this morning, Jesus not simply is interested in you, but He understands that aspect of your being. When He was being crucified, one of the things which He said from the cross is, My God, My God, why have you... I think He would have emphasized that word. You forsaken Me. All of His disciples had bolted. Jesus knew that the Father was still with Him, but there came that moment when Christ was forsaken by God the Father on the cross for the first time in His existence. 
He did not know the presence and the pleasure of God. He knew the absence and the wrath of God in that moment. Jesus is not a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Do you get the picture? Our God is a God of salvation. Our God is a good God and a just God. Our God is the God of truth. Our God is a merciful God. Our God is a God of steadfast love or loving kindness. His love is everlasting. In Jeremiah, the Bible talks in 31, verse 33, I believe it is. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is the love that the Father had for David. This is the love the Father has for us if we are in Christ. He has promised an everlasting love in more than one place in Scripture. Well, let's look at this next aspect. That's the basis of our petition. Wow. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and he or she is safe. So, what is the name of the Lord? Well, He has several names. We're not going into them, but you can study them in your Bible. 23rd Psalm is a good place to begin. That is our Lord. That's the one in whom we put our trust as we wait on Him to do what He will finally do with our distress. Let's look at the content of this petition. He's talked about God, reminding Himself, and not only reminding Himself, it is quite fine for you and me, by the way, to remind God of who He is, that He has made promises to us. We're not to demand things from God. He's God. We're not. We're His servants. But what we need to know is He wants us to come and ask and seek and keep on knocking to get the promises fulfilled that He has made to us. In this text, we see David asking for God's direction. Look at verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. He's asking God to direct him. Do you need some direction in your life? I bet there's more than one man or woman here who's looking for direction. You want to know what God would have you to do. Well, keep on knocking on that door. God will give you the direction. He promises us if we trust in Him with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge Him, He will make our path straight. So keep on hounding God about this matter. And He is more than willing to show that. Look at verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. In order to find God's direction, you've got to humble yourself. And so do I. We have to be understanding that we are in a role of submission to Him. And the result of that is that He will reveal His will to us and direction. He also asks for God's forgiveness. Look at verse 7 of this passage. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And then, if you'll glance down to verse 11, in the second part of verse 11, it says, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And then look at chapter 18. 
He says, forgive all my sins. David was always ready to confess his sin and repent of his sin. And the Lord was ready to forgive him. Remember David's lowest moment when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. She had given birth to a child. The child was ill. The child died. Remember that. And do you remember how he mourned during the time of the baby's illness and he pled with God to heal the baby, but the Lord did not do that. But when he had finished, we know that he was a man who had sought the Lord. And God sustained him through that. He and his wife had another son. Jedediah was his nickname. We know him as Solomon. But he cried out for forgiveness. There are Psalms, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, are his his penitential Psalms where he asks, asks the Lord to forgive him. Here's another aspect of his content, and we've touched on this, read it at least. It was for God's instruction. Look again at verse 8, the second part. He instructs sinners in the way. In verse 9, the second part, he teaches the humble his way. The Lord is more than willing to teach us. And one of the means whereby he teaches us is when we have distress in our life. And he teaches us about his nature. And he teaches us of his interest in us as we come before him. He also asks for the protection of the Lord. Look at verse 20. He says, O guard my soul. Put a hedge of protection around my soul, he's saying. Oh, Father, do this for me. And also, he prays for freedom or liberation in that same sentence. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. He needed deliverance. Do you sense the urgency in this prayer to the Lord? David was that kind of passionate person. And he was in trouble. He needed the help of the Lord. And that's where we should go. We should not be ashamed to come before the Lord because we're not coming in our own name. We're coming in the name of Jesus, our interpreter as it was, our mediator between us and God. He also asks, I believe, for sanctification. Look at verse 21, the first line of it. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. These are qualities of God. These are qualities of Jesus Christ. And the whole idea of these petitions is, really, he's, he's asking him, asking the Father, Lord, would you help me to be more like you, is what he's asking. It's important for us to consider. Now, as we finish our consideration of this psalm, David makes a big decision. You sense the struggle. Do you not? Can't you feel it almost when you read this passage, the trouble? It's just like a battle going on internally. He is a man of faith, undoubtedly. He is a man after God's own heart. But the circumstances of his life, they're just tearing him apart. But he's brought back. Every time he comes back to one of the qualities of God, the nature of God, he's brought back to the baseline of what he's to do. He's to trust in the Lord. Look at verses 12 through 14. 
the beginning point of real faith or an expression of that faith is in the fear of the Lord. We don't hear a whole lot about the fear of the Lord in the church today. It's unfortunate because it's a very important principle. If we don't fear God, well, we might as well hang it up. I'm going to be very blunt about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it has to do with our entering into a relationship we've got where we know that we are sinners. And we know were it not for His grace, He could just wipe us out in an instant and has every right to do that. But in His grace and in His greatness, we come to know Him as this God who is to be feared. David knew that God. Look at verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. God will instruct you if you're a person who fears God. It's not that kind of craven fear where you just want to get into a corner and you're afraid God's going to wipe you out. It's not that, but it is more than just having some respect for God. It's somewhere in between those two. I would call it reverential fear. You revere Him more than anyone else. More than anything else, you value Him. And you, your life reflects that in the fact that you seek to joyfully obey the Lord. Look at verse 13. His soul shall abide in well-being. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You want your soul to abide in well-being? Do you need that? And the next line, and his offspring shall inherit the land. Wow. I really would like that for my children and my grandchildren. Wouldn't you? I think you would. We love our children, don't we? Well, one of the things that ensures that they have better than an even chance at that is if we are men and women who fear the Lord. David feared the Lord. Some of his kids went bad. We know that. So it didn't come true for all of them, but for many of them, it did come true in his life. Now, let's look at the next verse. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant, His promise of salvation. Now, let's think about this a moment. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Are we to understand that we can have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe? Is that what is being said here? The condition, of course, is that we fear Him. But that's exactly what David is saying. The word translated, the friendship, the word friendship means intimacy. If you look at it in the original language, it's intimacy. Jesus has that kind of relationship with His disciples, too. You may remember in John chapter 15, He says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends. The things which I hear from my Father, I'm passing on to you. That echoes what David writes here. And this is something that is ours if we fear the Lord. It's not ours if we do not. But He is looking for people who yield themselves to Him and come to Him and trust Him to deliver them from the difficulties of life in the sense of getting away to see your way through and to come out on the other side stronger. In the book of Psalms, 
I believe it's the 34th chapter in the 19th verse. It says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He doesn't just sort of pick you right up and make you exempt from affliction. But He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's with you and He cares for you. And He is the one who fortifies you as you fear Him. Let's now look at verse 1 and two other places about the next thing. As David waited on the Lord, he began by fearing God. Then he trusted God. They're like two sides of the same coin, fearing God and trusting God. Look at the way he begins this psalm. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. He turned to the Lord in his time of difficulty. He didn't turn away from the Lord when there was not an immediate answer to his prayer. He waited on the Lord to receive the answer. Look at the first line of verse 2. The Scripture says, O my God, in you I trust. And then look at verse 20 again, the second line of verse 20. Let me not be to shame, for I take refuge in you. God was his hiding place, he says in another part of the Psalms. And that's where we should see God as. He's our refuge. I've already alluded to the 18th chapter of Proverbs, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So that's where we're to go in trust as we trust in the Lord. And now let's look at Psalm 31, which is a companion psalm in the sense that it's got the same theme, not word for word, but the same emphasis from the pen and the heart of David. Look at Psalm 31, verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. I'm in your hand, Lord. Do you know that's true of you if you know Christ? He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. You are in the place of ultimate security if you know Jesus Christ. Nothing can touch you to harm you. If God is for you, who can be against you? That's what the Scripture says. And we just need to be men and women who trust in the Lord, having placed our faith in the Lord, but also our fear of the Lord. And then we wait on the Lord. It's hard to wait, isn't it? One of the things I've noticed, again, I'd forgotten it, quite frankly, from my days of parenting. It's been so many years ago. Then I became a grandparent, and I'm just sort of marvel at how impatient my grandkids are, you know? And I began to reflect, were my kids impatient when they were that age? And I like to say, no, not as much as my grandkids because I was a better disciplinarian than my son is. But that's not fair. They were impatient. But what was necessary for them to develop the capacity to wait? What was necessary? Would they come by that naturally? Or were they coming by that by our disciplining our children? 
You have to discipline. And discipline is a factor of love, isn't it? Our God does not withdraw His love from us when He allows things that are difficult to enter our lives. So many people's faith has been wrecked because they've had a poor view of God. They've had a little God, not the God of the Bible. They have a God who's a heavenly bellhop, who is their servant instead of serving the God who created the whole universe, who happens to be full of loving kindness and full of mercy as we have seen. So we need to learn to wait on the Lord. It takes time to develop such a heart. Let's look close by looking at a verse in Psalm 27. And then we'll look at one verse. I'll just quote it if I can remember it from Psalm 37. Look at verse 14. The last verse of Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Lord gives us strength. We build up resistance, actually. As we wait, we grow. We become more mature like Christ. And this is not to any way leave you with the idea that it's just a slam dunk when you reach that point of fearing God and trusting God and beginning to wait on the Lord, to wait on His timing, His timetable is always right. But also, what we know is, God's waiting room can be very difficult sometimes. I don't like to wait. Do you? I don't like to go to the doctor and wait for two hours to see the doctor. Do you? Now, I haven't had too many experiences like that. But you know what I'm talking about. We want to get helped right now. And it's not unlike us as followers of the Lord to have that same kind of experience. But the Lord has to build this into us over time. He doesn't dump the whole load on you at once. He helps you to grow in increments. And the opportunities tend to increase as you mature and walk with the Lord. So we're to wait on the Lord. And Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. The word patiently could be translated longingly for Him. And this word was used to describe a mother in childbirth. When she was in child labor and contractions came and they got more intense, and there was a shorter period in between each contraction, and how painful that was. That mother was wanting that baby to get born. But the baby got born, didn't it? And the baby was such a joy to the mother. All that pain that she experienced, as awful as it was, it just kind of went away. Jesus even talks about this in John 15 about our suffering, is like a a woman in childbirth. And then when it's over, there's joy. We know that we can have joy in this life if we properly respond to our distresses. And in heaven, we'll have joy unlimited. Meanwhile, let us be committed as individuals and as a church to learn to wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into this beautiful piece of 
truth known as the 25th Psalm. Help us, Lord, to be men and women who wait on You. We know that if we do, we have great prospects for fulfillment in this life and in the life to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.